0: Couple of the verses in the in the last hymn, and I'm going to try and fit 35 minutes and 15. Not really. I'm going to take a little bit of your afternoon, or not your afternoon. Still morning. Okay. So, all right, I'll slow down. Uh, Father God, thank you for just being who you are in the in the awe of who you are. You know, I apologize right now, and anybody else here that needs to, I I apologize for those times when I take you for granted, when I just take what you've done for us as just not necessarily even a gift, but just what I deserve, when it's exactly the opposite of what I deserve. Lord, you're amazing, and I thank you that you are willing to speak to us through your word that you dwell the Holy Spirit within our hearts and that you command us to move. And so, Lord, I just continue to give you permission to take this message, change it however you want, take my mouth and use it the way you seem uh, deem fit. Because this is all about you and it's not what we made it. In Christ's name, amen. So... I only get to do this about once every three months, so I got a lot of stuff to cover. So, um, so yesterday morning, I was sitting there going, how do I want to start this sermon? And um, I thought about the kids, because the kids are in here, um, because we, it's spring break. And so, we're going to sing the first verse of Jesus Loves Me together. Are you guys ready? Kids, you can do this too, right? So, it's adults and kids. Everybody sings it, because I don't know the last time I sang it, except, for, well, yesterday. But um, for everybody else, let's. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. So, how many people know that that's only verse 1? Okay, how many people know what year the verse was written? Nobody was alive when it was written, that's here. 1860, that was a poem written in 1860 by Anna Warner. In verses 2 and 3 were written by David McGuire. And then it was finalized with verses 4 and 5 by William Bradbury in 1862. And the reason why I brought that up is our sermon series for Lent is about Jesus is from eternity to eternity. So he was in the beginning, as we talked about last week in John 1-1. The word was with God. And he is the reason that we will be in eternity. And so, part of this is I wanted to to read the other verses to you, because so many times music for me is the way that I connect really, really well. So, verse two is, Jesus loves me, this I know, as he loved so long ago, taking children on his knee, saying, let them come to me. Jesus loves me still today, walking with me on my way, wanting as a friend to give, Light and love to all who live. Jesus loves me, he who died. Heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin. Let his little child come in. Jesus loves me, he will stay. Close beside me all the way. Thou hast bled and died for me. I therefore will live for thee. We don't get the other parts, and it's amazing. I mean, it's enough. It, it covers it, and so I already said John one one. And if you need proof that Jesus was from eternity, to, for eternity, First 1 Peter one20 20 through twenty one says he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. And then Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So I have to ask a couple if-then statements. So God wrote the Ten Commandments. Do you believe that? Okay. So if you believe that God wrote the Ten Commandments, and He commands us to act that way, do you believe that He has to also live by the Ten Commandments? Okay. Some of you are already falling out of the if-then statements. So, so he can't lie, because number nine is he can't, we can't lie. We're not supposed to lie, so he can't lie. So he does not lie through his words. The Bible is true, and lucky for all of us, the gospel never changes. The gospel is true as soon as Christ is resurrected as it is today and will be. Because if it was a moving target, none of us would understand what we're supposed to be shooting at. And so luckily, it's the same throughout. And so many times you'll hear sermons, they're going to do the same thing. But do you also know that we are from eternity to eternity? We have heavenly bodies here, but we were known before we were ever created in the flesh. And we also will be living for eternity on the other side. So God has many different characteristics. One is He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. The other is he's omnipresent and he, in all places at all times, in all times. So he's been, he's back watching my great, 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 great grandparents. And he's also seen all of my great, 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 great grandkids. I'm assuming I have those. I don't know. But he's in all places at all times. So he's already seen our entire lives. We can't fathom that because we're limited by time and space. But he's seen it, he's seen all of that. And then also if he's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing, he knows all things, he's witnessed all things, he's experienced all things, then he cannot forget. If he knows all, he cannot forget because he still knows all. And so if he cannot forget, then he can't just say, your, t- your sins are gone, I forgot your sins. No, they have to be dealt with. Your sin has to be dealt with, and that's why Jesus had to come to atone for our sins. Does that make sense? Okay. Sweet. So, what he does with our sin is it says in Psalms 103 and 12, he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So Christ stands in our place and removes what we've done. Even though before we were born, God witnessed all the things that we would do in our lives, that would not bring him glory. He also witnessed all the things we will do in our lives or have done in our lives that does bring him glory. And therefore, he still chose to create us. That's pretty impressive. That God loved me enough, knows that there is enough, he loves me enough to know that I am worthy of being created. It blows my mind. It just does. So I have to ask, are you at a state in your life, and I have to confess that there's times that I'm not, but are you at a point where you just kind of take Christ for granted? Or are you in awe of Christ? I mean, I I know day in, day out, I know God loves me. I know Christ died for me. I know that my soul is saved as long as I believe that He is my Savior. I know all of those things but I put Christ in that box and said, I'm good. Now I put it on a shelf. There's times in my life where I do that. I put it all here and I just go, okay, we're good. I can just live my life. And then there's a time something happens and God's awe reminds me how massive, how awesome he is. And I forget it sometimes. I just go about my life. My life gets really busy. Your lives get really busy. And I don't always take the time to be in awe of God. Sometimes it's just going for a hike that I find the awe. Sometimes I read something. Sometimes you type something into uh, Google or whatever search engine you use, and something completely different comes up. I typed in Ephesians 1.1 for my sermon the other day, and something came up about the, awesome, or the awe of God, which I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And the guy never talked about Ephesians 1.1 in the entire sermon. It was an hour-long sermon. You never talked about 1-1. So it wasn't even supposed to be there, but it was there. It's quite interesting. As some of you know, sometimes you're walking down the, in the grocery store and you go, I need to talk to so-and-so, or I would love to see someone. And all of a sudden, you turn the corner, and there they are. I don't think those are coincidences. I think God has it all orchestrated. But so, let's look at what our pre-earthly existence, how we know that we really were before we were physically created. Jeremiah 1:5 says before I formed you in the womb I knew you before you were born I set you apart. Psalm 139:14 through 16 we, says that's the part that says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And it also says that God saw us our saw our unformed bodies in that scripture. So that was Psalm 139:14 through 16 if you want to look it up later. And then we also, most of us are comfortable with the post-heavenly or post-earth, I'm sorry, post-earthly existence. Most of us know of heaven. Most of us know of hell. Most of us may not like hell, and we don't want to think about hell, but it's a true fact. And the Bible shows in John eleven twenty five 25 and 26, it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? And those are Jesus' words. But we are we are all eternal. Us here and those everywhere. All people created are eternal. You get to choose. Are you eternal? Or are you eternal? And scripture also addresses that. Matthew twenty-five, forty-six. a paraphrase, talks about the eternal punishment or eternal life. Daniel twelve, two, everlasting life or shame and everlasting contempt. Revelation 21, 4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. They will be no more, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So we know that we've got our pre-earthly, our post-earthly. What about what are we supposed to do during our time here? Well, most of us know Romans 8.28. God will work out everything good for those who believe him. Okay? But 29 points out, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And we're also supposed to love him by sharing the gospel. We don't love him by keeping it to ourselves. We love it by sharing. And so Second Timothy one, six through twelve, if you want to write that down, I'm not going to read all of it, I'm only going to read seven and eight. Where the Spirit God gave us or for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Excuse me for one second sometimes in life we we as we prepare for sermons, we come across a lot of different texts, a lot of different videos, a lot of different uh, things that commentaries and different things to make sure that we 're on the right page with what we 're thinking or what we 're going to deliver and I read a book recently. Um, by a pastor in Vancouver, Washington named Dan Fusco. And it's called Honestly. And the book is Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives. And he writes it so well that there's no way that I can paraphrase what he wrote. There's no way I can change what he wrote and make it my own. So I will be sharing that in a second. He starts out with Ephesians 2, 1-5. through 5, Or I'm going to read Ephesians 2, 1-5. through 5, And then I will get into his text. made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So Dan Fusco's book, I hope this blows your mind. It blows my mind the way he writes, so I just hope it blows your mind. But So it's, he just shared Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. Listen, this is the gospel, the best possible news. Write this down. Make it the epitaph of your gravestone. Tattoo it on your arm. Well, unless, of course, you think that kind of stuff is bad, bad, bad. Then ignore that suggestion. Memorize it. Pitch in with your buddies to hire a skywriter. Post it online. Tell it with a joyful smile to the next person who asks you what this whole Christianity thing is all about. Jesus makes dead people alive. Say it again. Jesus makes dead people alive. Let that soak in for a minute. Close this book for the day. I, don't, I won't mind. I'll still be here waiting for you tomorrow. Go live your life. And while you do, let this truth blow your mind. The good news is not that Jesus makes bad people alive good. The good news is not that Jesus makes decent, moral people even better. The good news is not that Jesus takes rebels and failures and does an extreme makeover on them. None of that. The good news is that Jesus makes dead people alive. The Bible tells us that when we were trapped in our sin, we were dead. This is binary stuff. Dead, alive. You don't get less dead, you get undead. At one point you are dead, and at the next moment you are alive. How? Who flips the switch? God does. Father, Son, and Spirit. The Bible tells us that God is overflowing with mercy because of his measureless love for us. Look how Ephesians 2.4 starts, But God... Okay, pause here for a minute because it's all about God, right? Everything starts and finishes with God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Ephesians 2, 4-5, and stop right there because everywhere, whatever happens next, it's going to be the best thing ever, right? Rich mercy and great love, even though we deserve neither, made us alive together with Christ. Verse 5. That's everything right there. That crazy John 3.16 banner guy in the end zone has got it right. Because God loved people so much, God sent his willing son, Jesus, to become a human, one of us. And now, anyone who follows Jesus, who puts Jesus in charge of his or her life, that person's life will never come to an end, but will continue on into God's perfect and joyous eternity. And it gets even better This plan wasn't hatched to get us in trouble or beat us down. Rather, as John 3.17 tells us, the entire purpose of God's plan isn't to condemn the world, it's to save the world through Jesus. Without Jesus, we're dead. Perhaps we are good without Jesus, responsible, successful, upright, and decent, and admired. Perhaps we're reviled, hated even. But none of that matters if you're not in a relationship with Jesus. Without Jesus, no matter who we are, we're dead. And the moment we choose God, the, the switch gets flipped. Off, on, dead, alive. I love how the Bible paints this picture. We're trapped in the kingdom of darkness, and Jesus is, only, is the only one with the power to ride into the kingdom, to subdue our evil, evil captor, and to rescue us taking us back into the kingdom of light forever. No one can be snatched away from God. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light, forever. Mind-blowing. Let me say one more thing about this. The best of all possible good news, remember how the bad news is worse than we realize? That we're rebels and failures who will never, no matter how hard we try, make it out of the messiness? That's exactly why the good news is all the sweeter, infinitely sweet. Because God looks at us just as we are and says, I am merciful. I love you with an everlasting love. And I will uh, put back together what is broken. It's one thing to embrace a decent person, a grateful person, but it's, different in de- it's a different deal entirely to embrace a hideous person. A bitter person, a person who is actively rejecting and rebelling against your love. While you were still a sinner, the Bible says, Jesus chose to die for you to save you. While I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. Honestly, I sin every single stinking day. I sin, I'm a sinner, and God tells and says to us, to me, the pastor and dad and husband, who just keeps sinning and sinning, I have mercy and great love for you. For some of you reading right now, God puts this book in your hands specifically so that you could hear this. It's something you've never heard, and it's literally going to change your life. It's on the back of the bulletin, just in case you need to keep it. God God does not love you because you're good. God loves you because God is loving. And God sees you in all of your brokenness, in all of your messiness, in all of your sin, and God embraces you with overflowing compassion and transforming love, as many have phrased it, there is nothing you can do that will make God love you more. And there is nothing you can do that will make God love you less. Is that, is that a God worth following? Worth trusting and worshiping? Without Jesus, you're dead. With Jesus, you're alive. That's what it is meant to be a Christian. Dead. Alive. Once you're illuminated, once you're shining, there's no snuffing out you out. There's no going back. And that's the reason we work to follow Jesus, to build God's kingdom, to listen to the Spirit, sometime uncomfortable prompting, because when Jesus saves your life, you can't imagine doing anything else. Again, that book is it's Dan Fusco, and the book is Honestly. Um, if you're looking for a read that quick I read it in less than a week and I'm not a reader it's amazing so I put down on my on the bulletin that I was going to talk about Ephesians 1 through 3 or through 1 3 through 14 or 1 through 14 and what I figured out was it wraps up the message it wasn't the start of the message it was the end and so in closing I'm going to just read Ephesians 3 through 14 Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise and his glorious grace which he has freely given us in one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood. "...having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you are marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession." To the, to the praise of His glory. So we are predestined. We can live in eternity. But we need to go out and tell others about who Christ is so they have that option as well. It is not us that makes them believe or not believe, but it is our responsibility to make sure that they, we plant seeds. That we know who our, who our hope is found in. And Spend the time in the Word so you are more confident with who God is and that you can trust in that hope even more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you continue to have these words come to life. I ask you to Have us fall in love with You so much that we can't contain the love we have for You, that we must talk about You, that we must share You, that we will find that strength and that confidence in You, that You will provide the words to say at the right time, that You will provide the right people to talk to at the right time, that You will let us act the way we should so that people will know who we believe in and who we trust in and where our hope is found, Lord. I thank You that You are our great Almighty, that You know all things, that You've seen all things, and that You love us enough that we are Your sons and daughters. In Christ's name, amen.